Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by Living Word Church. We trust that as you hear the Word of God preached, you'll be encouraged and equipped to love God and do His will. If you're looking for a church home, please feel free to visit our Sunday morning worship service at 10 a.m. or visit our website at www.livingwordchurch.cc. And now for our message. We were at the Visible Music Show on uh, Friday night. It was, uh, yeah, anybody? Anybody? It was an exciting evening of Christmas and young people doing music. And um, I just wish you a Merry Christmas. I I just had the sense this week that um, peace and hope and joy are part of what it means to be of the community of God. And it's really what we celebrate at Christmas as well. And so I just want to pray that over you guys. Peace and hope and joy. That those things, the true qualities, not the, you know, whatever marketed version you've gotten of that recently. I know, like, joy is like, sells everything. You get a new car, it brings you joy, right? No, we're talking about the deep, profound sense of Christ and the peace of God in our lives. So, as we begin, as we enter into God's Word today, let's pray. and Let's just give you pause and a chance to say, Lord, I want the real thing this season. And I want to be, I want to be a Christmas... Um, testimony to Christ. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for the, really, the great contributions, music and uh, songs, Lord, the, the scriptures and the testimonies. God, we, we recognize, Lord, our own weakness today. God, and we just rejoice with Paul. God, that learn that your grace is sufficient for us. And so, Lord, I pray, God, that you would bring legit, real peace God, to our hearts, to our families, God, to the places we walk. You said to Joshua that everywhere he set his foot, you would give him that place. God, I pray that for us, that everywhere we set our foot, particularly in this next month, God, that you would give us peace. God, that we would be people of hope. God, that look to the future with joy, thanksgiving, and with faith, that we know that nothing is impossible with you. God, I pray that you would just rise up joy, legit, real, authentic delight. God, in you, of course, and in the gospel story, in the reality of Christ in our lives. But God, even in the, in just in the fullness of life that you've given us and the world that you've made. God, help us find the delight and a joy afresh. Even as Adam delighted in Eve and they were both amazed at your creation, God, that as you gave them abilities to create and renew and to name and, God, to express the fullness of humanity and the good earth you made, God, help us to delight ourselves in the pure and beautiful creation you've made into one another and, of course, in the beautiful gospel that redeems and restores us. God, I pray that as we go through your word, Lord, go through us. Help us to own this. Help us to live this. Help us to understand it and, God, just receive it by faith, into our lives. We bless you this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So you know we're doing a series on the Gospel of Luke. And so uh, you can open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, you can turn your phones on to Luke chapter 1. Or I think Luke chapter 1 will be behind me on the wall. You will not be able to escape Luke chapter 1 this morning. Luke chapter 1 is a story of, um, I'm going to continue with the story of uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And Mary. And so, but I want to just plant a couple seeds in your head. 
just a couple ideas. These two ideas as we begin, and you'll see them played out in the story. The first one is this idea of certainty. I really like the fact that when Luke, in his kind of introduction, he says, I want you to have a sense of certainty about what God has fulfilled among us. I don't want you to have a, to doubt it or question it, or I want you to, I want you to fully be able to receive it with a sense of confidence. And so he talks about how he's gone to great pains to investigate and to look at everything and, and how God himself is um, breathing these things into the scriptures so that we can live them in our lives. And I think as we think about certainty in our day, a couple things come to mind, two kind of polar opposite things. The first one is this, that sometimes there's a, an overemphasized need for certainty. Like as if everything must be known. That there's a fear or an insecurity about any level of doubt or mystery or just kind of like, wow, that's beyond me. Like the psalmist said, Lord, my mind can't comprehend it. Your ways are too high for me. There can be, in our world, specifically even Christian circles, kind of an insistence that we know everything. We need to know everything. And so everything about the end times or about how God works or this or that, people have going through really difficult, dark things or challenging things in their life, and people give these like quick little fortune cookie Christian answers, right, that are supposed to like make everything okay again. We're not talking about that kind of certainty. For surely God is mysterious. And even as was shared today by Allie and echoed by my dad, life sometimes is hard to figure out. The reality of that truth does not undermine what Luke is trying to help us to see that we can have the certainty that God's promises are fulfilled in Jesus. Sometimes an overemphasis or this obsession with having to know everything in order for us to be at peace is really a sign of unbelief and distrust to God. We need to know that as we go through valleys and shadows of death, that God's with us. And sometimes all we know is that God will fulfill his promises, even if we don't know how that will happen. The second error of certainty is this, an overemphasis on a, a, somehow a need for doubt. That somehow there's a reluctance to believe with confidence. To say, down in my soul, before God and before people, I am certain of God's goodness and faithfulness to me. That there can be among people, especially in our modern world, a celebration of doubt. That somehow, if we're too certain, we're naive or we don't think deeply enough. Modern people often have a distaste for simple answers, even though sometimes the most profound answers are the most simple. And there can be, on the other side of the spectrum, this celebration of uncertainty and a distrust of anyone who walks through life with real convictions. And I think I want to paint that picture because we don't want to be that. We don't want to feel like, you know, if 
certainty is somehow naivete or this lack of deep thought. And we also don't want to say, unless everything is certain and mapped out, I, I have trouble believing. I, I just I can't really trust God because I, I need to know all the answers first. It's never been that way. But Luke is, is providing for us this bios, this great story of a great Savior. He's saying, look, I want you to live and to walk with certainty that Jesus has fulfilled all of God's promises and has guaranteed not only your present, but your future. John said it this way, John 20, at the end of his gospel. He said, these things are written so that you may believe and that by believing that you might have life in the name of Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? Second thing I want you to just consider as we go through this story is this notion or this idea of second chances. And it's a big theme in today's scripture because we're going to read the story of Zechariah, who last year, as I kind of contrasted him with Mary, that Zechariah this established, veteran, faithful, godly man, when he was faced with God appearing and doing something quite special and quite remarkable in his life, he failed to believe and he doubted. Well, today's story is Zechariah's second chance. And I want you just to just think and embrace God's second chances in your life. It's critically important. Because, I mean, first, first chances are great. But I don't know statistically how many people succeed on their first try, right? And the same is true as we follow Christ. That often we're fumbling and stumbling and bumbling. He could go. No, that's different. And we don't get it right even though we should. By all accounts, Zechariah should have believed the angel. When the angel came and said, Zechariah, God sees you, and he's going to bless you, and your wife's going to get pregnant, and you're going to have a son, and he's going to play a critical role in God's purposes, Zechariah should have said, Hallelujah, praise the Lord, thank you, the soon-to-be-here Jesus. But he didn't. In the same way many of us when given a chance to respond to God in faith, would God wants to do something wonderful. We completely drop the ball. And today's story is for those of us who've dropped the ball. Not just in a small way, but in big ways. Or small ways. And it's a story of second chances. So that's my preface. Now let's turn to Luke chapter 1. I'm going to start with verse 46, Mary's song. But it doesn't seem right that me, some middle-aged North American, would read Mary's song. Wouldn't you rather have it sung to you by someone with a very beautiful voice? All right, so come on, Jordan, Daniel, sing to us Mary's song. Welcome them as they come on up.
song. Praise the almighty God. He's done great things for us. There's a story between these two songs. There's a song of Mary, and then there's a song that ultimately Zachariah sings, but today is about the story between the songs. Could you imagine being Zachariah, being this faithful, godly, established priest who offers worship in the Holy of Holies, Right, So he was the one that when God sent an angel and spoke to him, he missed it. And then there's this young 
girl, this little teenage young girl who didn't know anything yet. And the angel comes and speaks to her. And she says, let your words to me be fulfilled. And the contrast to that is so striking. And Luke does it on purpose. He puts those songs right there. And in the middle of those two songs, he puts a story. And that story is so important to us. I don't know if you feel like the Mary of the story, like, you know what, I'm, I'm rocking and rolling, and when God speaks, I'm ready, I'm willing, I'm able. Lord, speak, here I go. Whatever you say, I'm willing to do. Or if you relate more to Zechariah, and you think, you know what, when God has spoken to me in the past, I missed it. I didn't mean to miss it, or maybe you did mean to miss it, or for whatever reason, your faith didn't rise, you didn't feel this conviction of obedience where you're just like, yes, God, do it. But you really just kind of blew it. And so this is where Zechariah is. He's, he's mute. And I just love the symbolism of that, that, that somehow when, when we fail to rise with faith and obey the Lord, that there's like a little mute thing that goes on inside of us. Not even that God does it, but that our own sense of conscience or um, because we know that we've not been faithful, that we just kind of go quiet in our faith, you know? Our testimony kind of dwindles, and instead of like going for it in worship, or you just kind of become an attender, and then maybe you become an occasional attender, right? And, and things are happening around you that you would love to be a part of. God moving in your area, but you just feel a little disqualified. You feel a little bit muted. Well, Zechariah is living in this, in this story between the two songs. So let's, let's read, and I believe that we're going to find hope and joy as we listen to Zechariah's story. Jump to verse 57. It says this. And when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, Elizabeth is Zechariah's wife, of course, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. You know, it's, you put yourself back in Zechariah's place a minute, and Zechariah, while he he failed to respond right to the, to the angel, he is still living in the midst of God's faithfulness. Everything the angel said is happening. Right? So Mary, or excuse me, Elizabeth, she gets pregnant. And we know that takes some time, nine months, right? And change. And so the whole time, his wife is growing larger and larger with child. Here's Zechariah thinking, thinking because he can't say it. He can't speak. He's living under the, the angel's judgment. He says, you won't speak. And he's just seeing God's faithfulness all around him. And I don't know if that, it probably was a combination of adding like to his faith, like, you know what? God is faithful to what he said. But it probably was also adding to his struggle. I know for me, if I see people around me going on in God and I should have been going on in God and I, I should have been growing and moving forward and developing my gifts and giving my all, 
living courageously and sacrificially for the kingdom of God, if other people are doing that all around me and I'm not, there'd be part of me to be like, I feel like I didn't belong, you know? I feel like a little bit embarrassed. And if I'm honest, maybe a little bit ashamed. And you got these dueling things going on inside of your heart, right? It is interesting to me as we read this, even this one line. I mean, he can't talk. He, he may or may not be mute. Um, but interestingly, he can't have sex. That's good, right? I mean, it just says something about guys, right? He had like a traumatic judgment issued to him by an angel, and it didn't stop him from getting his wife pregnant. He's in the in-between moments where his next decisions are very important. What's he going to do? So the baby is born. And we'll carry on with our reading. Verse 59, on the eighth day, he came to, they came to circumcise the child. And they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, 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 wait. He is to be called John. But they, the neighbors and the family and all the people involved, they said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. And they made signs to his father. That's why there's some discussion about whether he was not only mute but also deaf. Some say yes, some say no. But regardless, they communicated to him to find out what he would like to name the child. And he asked for a writing tablet. This probably isn't an iPad. The, the writing tablets back then, they used to be like, um, they're, they're like little pieces of wood. They said like cheap pine. And they'd have a square piece of pine. And they'd take that pine and they'd coat it in wax. And then they would use a, a stick or a pencil of types. And when they write in it, they would carve in the wax. And that's how the symbols and the language was communicated. So they give him a tablet, and he writes on there these words. To everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was open, and his tongue was freed, and he began to speak, comma, praising God, period. I mean, the guy has a breakthrough, right? I mean, it's an invitation He's sitting in his invitation to participate in the fulfillment of God's promises in his life and in the world. You know, it's such a big deal, the birth of John. He was prophesied of in the Old Testament so much that God would send a forerunner to the Messiah, someone in the spirit of Elijah to come and prepare the way for the Lord. And so John's role isn't just a family role. It's not just Zechariah and Elizabeth are going to have a baby in their old age. No, John's role was part of God's global, eternal program to send a Savior, to die for the sins of the world, mine and yours, and of ages past and of ages yet to come, that all of those sins would be born upon Christ. And those who put their faith in Christ, there would be a substitutionary Atonement of sorts, a substitutionary forgiveness. That our sins 
would be placed upon Jesus. And that Jesus' righteousness, as Adam referred to that verse, he who knew no sin became sin. So that those of us who were sin would become the righteousness of God. That this was God's global program to redeem and to save the world. That so many of us in here have grabbed onto and are participating in and living the new life that comes in believing in Christ and having your sins paid for by our Savior. They call him the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Those were John's words. So there was a global program going on here. And John played a critical role in it. This baby, this little miracle baby, born to that old couple. And yet, there's also a very personal role. Because in God's great, expansive plans to see the world redeemed and pulled together as a divine community in the power and the grace of God with his presence among us, he does not forget the individuals that make up those communities. And God did not forget Zechariah, for Zechariah was given a second chance. Zechariah had two jobs. He was to believe the angel, and he was to name his boy John. You know what? Zechariah blew it on the first job. Crash and fail. Bad stuff. And now he had this moment, this new second chance moment to believe God and to obey God. Much like we get second chance moments to believe God and to obey God. You know, Zechariah could have said to himself, you know what, I, I screwed that up with the angel. Man, I just, I'm just going to write myself off. There's no hope for me. I, my part, I blew my part. It's up to other people. I'm just going to hang out in the back and not do much. I'm gonna not participate because all my dreams, all my potential, all of what God had hoped and planned for my life, evidently it's not gonna materialize. But he didn't choose to do that. He took his second chance because God gives second chances. And he said these, these words, these four words, his name is John. Uh, do we have that, Brandon? Can you put that up for us? I couldn't, I couldn't figure out, and I looked, I couldn't figure out what language they thought Zechariah wrote that in on his little waxy tablet. It certainly wasn't English. That's for your benefit. Maybe, maybe it was Greek, right? A lot of the people spoke kind of street Greek in the first century. It's possible. The New Testament was written in Greek. So it could go all over the place and people would know it was a common language. Maybe it was Aramaic. That's Arabic, the middle one. You remember Jesus on the cross cried out in Aramaic. It was a common language at the time. Or maybe he was an old man. He was a priest. He was certainly well studied in Hebrew. Maybe he wrote it in Hebrew, the bottom one or the third one. Definitely not English. I want you to see that because Zechariah had to pick up his little pencil, stick, scraper thing, and he had to take a moment and write something down. Because, as I read in the text, there was great debate going on. I mean, 
expectations for this miraculous baby, the only son born to this old couple. I mean, it was a big deal. People shared in their joy. People were excited about this baby coming. Elizabeth was excited about this baby coming. And it's like, this is the big moment. And they went to name it, and it only made sense. Name the boy Zachariah Jr. Little Zachy Jr., right? Because old man Zachariah was going to be gone soon, and this was his legacy. His son was a big deal. And even, even Elizabeth was like, no, 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 we can't do that. We can't do that. ABC, my husband. Tell him, Zechariah, oh, yeah, you can't say anything. It's really kind of annoying now. It was nice at first, but now it's really annoying. And she's debating the neighbors and the family people. There was like this whole, like, the world and the culture and every, all the expectations were pushing down on these guys. And bless him, Zechariah, he did not collapse inside and fail in his faith again. He took his little wax scratchy pencil and he wrote in one of those languages, his name is John. It was a big moment for Zechariah. It was a let's get life back on track redemptive moment for Zechariah. You know what, I've blown it in the past, but I am gonna get back on God's program for Zechariah. I mean, what is, think about it, what is your, his name is John moment? Have you had one of those moments? You blew it, and you were battling discouragement, you were battling all these things, and suddenly, it's like God just gave you a second chance to obey him, to live for God. I mean, we all have them. I mean, I just think there's so many. Let's get back on track moments. For instance, I could see, I could see someone who, when they were younger, they never dedicated their kids to the Lord. We do dedications. We did one last week. It was beautiful, wasn't it? And say, so, you know what? When I was a young father, I didn't care about spiritual things. I wasn't leading my home in a godly way. I didn't set a pace of, of Christ-honoring stuff in my family, and that's just kind of whatever. I kind of blew it. But it doesn't mean you have to stay there. I, I could see one of you dads or one of your moms saying, you know what? I got a 30-year-old son. I'd like to dedicate him. You know what I say to that? Yeah. That's his name is John Moment right there. Dedicate your kids. Even if you forgot or you blew it when they were younger, get before God and say, Lord, I'm not going to die without dedicating my kids. Bring your 30-year-old, and they'll be like, all right, Dad, you have completely lost your mind. Get away from me. Maybe they'll participate. Maybe they won't. But you know what? There's nothing saying that if you miss that moment, next time we have a baby dedication, just kind of sneak around the back. With like a little picture of your son when he was a baby. And be like, Lord, I dedicate this guy to you. Sorry I'm late. You don't think God will honor that? I, I, and I've seen couples in our day and age, it is not uncommon to live together and sleep together before you get married. That is the cultural norm. We all know that. But I've had couples that have come to the church and says, you know what? 
we want to get married. I'm like, great, I want you to get married. Let's get married. Not me and you, but you two together. And I am still married, by the way. My wife's not here again today. You haven't seen her in months. She was doing great, and she just got exploded by jet lag today, so she's fine, but she's resting. And I, like, we say, let's do it. Let's honor God. And then you come to that awkward conversation. We're like, yeah, we're living together. I'm like, I knew that. Thanks for admitting it. So let's, let's, let's have a he is, his name is John moment. Recommit yourself to following Christ and honoring him with your hearts and with your lives and with your bodies and with your locations. Come live at my house for a couple months while your engagement completes. And when you get married, you'll have a brand new honeymoon. Take those moments and make it right. I know some folks, these are great testimonies. You've heard them before, that never gave to God. They're like, God, thank you for salvation. Thank you for all this stuff. But you know what? My money is mine. (laughs) They never said that, but they certainly never gave any. They didn't tithe. They weren't generous in their heart. And they get on in their life, and something happens, and they realize, you know what, all my life I haven't tithed. I've never given to God. And they have this revelation to say, you know what, I want to give my first. I want to give my best to God. I want my relationship to God to be right in all the areas of my life, including my money. And this isn't a big, we want your money, you got to start tithing speech, but I think there's a moment in our lives, there was for me, I have many friends that have these moments where they realize, you know what, I want to honor God with my money, but you never have. You can have a his name is John moment. Write your first check and say, Lord, I put this. This is this, I want to give you this to you first. Before I pay a bill, before I go out to the movies, before I watch Comcast or drive my car, I want to say, Lord, you're first in my monies. Lord, I'm 72 years old. I've never given (laughs) whatever. It doesn't matter. You can have these great moments to get on board with God's program. I could go through so many more. But maybe you know what your moments are. Zechariah, there was a lot of questions he had and he didn't understand all of it. But he, he gained through those months of silence a certainty that God was moving in his midst. That God was, had a program going and God was being faithful and God was fulfilling and somehow he and his family got to be a part of that. And he found his certainty and he wrote his name as John. He cut through all the debate, all the questions. It didn't matter what expectations or what people thought. He says, I am going to obey the Lord because God is moving among us. And I don't know why his name is supposed to be John. Maybe because John means gift of grace. And maybe the Old Testament in Malachi ended with a, a curse of judgment. And that the curse of judgment was being lifted off God's people and the gift of grace was coming. It was an important name. And then he took his second chance and he did it. And you know what? For the rest of his life, He saw that little boy who was not Zechariah Jr. He saw little John grow up to become a great man. And every time someone called that boy's name, Zechariah remembered. I may have blown it once, 
But God gave me a second chance. And I gave my best to him and I obeyed him. And I seek to do it all the days of my life. There's a great line in Zechariah's song. We're going to sing a song. If I could ask the team to come back, we're all going to sing a song of Zechariah together. But there is a great line in Zechariah's song. It's in verse 74. In Zechariah's song, verse 74, it says this, that God has enabled us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness for all of our days. Listen, these stories of Christmas, they're here to make a way for us to receive God in a new way, to see the mercy and the grace and the love of God. So like Zechariah sings, so that we can serve God without fear all the days of our life. Isn't that beautiful? You don't know the words to Zechariah's song, but I'm going to ask us to stand and rise, and we're going to sing um, the goodness of God again. It speaks of the faithfulness of God. It speaks of God loving you. It speaks of God speaking to you. And I want you to take a moment, and as we get to that bridge, I think it's a bridge, that simply says, with my life laid down, I surrender now. I give you everything, because your goodness is running after me. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'll start by saying that I think for a lot, or some of us, singing this song might be easy, declaring the goodness.